0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, My name's Ray, one of the pastors here at Calvary, and it's just a joy to have you with us. So I use the word joy, I'm just curious. How many of you are enjoying the series, Defiant Joy? About 30, 40%. That's, uh, (laughs) I was hoping for more. (laughs) If just one, I guess, but anyway. I just got back from... uh, flew in yesterday for my mom's memorial. And so, I'm gonna ask you forbearance. If one, I mess up, just be patient with me. And two, if I didn't make any sense, just ask the Holy Spirit to give you the interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, uh, it was a great day of honoring my mom and uh, celebrating so many memories, being back in the church where they pastored for 52 years and uh i still go down there from time to time and just remembered all the events all the moments so many of them that happened as though they were yesterday Uh, sitting on the front row as a child looking up at my mom leading worship and singing all the old hymns and just can hear her in my head still my mom had a some of you heard her she sang at christmas once she had a beautiful voice and uh you know your mom and my mom singing together would have been a treat pastor daniel that would have been something, and just uh, all the ministries going after church on Sunday, what they now call assisted living, back then they called it the the rest home, and I remember going to the rest home with mom after so she could sing, and then going down to Dairy Freeze and getting an ice cream. I'm sure that was the most important part, (laughs) but just a lot of uh, memories uh, of mom, and I want to say this today to some of you who, you know, because I'm not the only one who's experienced loss. I mean, many of us in this room have lost loved ones, obviously, lost a mom, lost a dad. Um, As I sat there in the memorial, I started remembering the good. You know, I've been honest saying I, I, I came from a dysfunctional Christian home. There were things that you look back and go, man, that was crazy. That didn't make any sense how they were living or training, and I don't mean bad stuff, I just mean a little off, little not what it could have been, what might have been. And so I'm sitting at that memorial and I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Ray, it's time to let go of the stuff where mom and dad didn't measure up. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes, just like your mom and dad might have made mistakes, At some point, you need to let the enemy of your soul know that he can't mess with you anymore on that. That you're going to look for the good. That you're going to find the good. That you're going to hold on to those good memories and and let the others... And I'm not saying hide them if you need counseling on them. I mean, for God knows my my three girls are going to be in counseling for the next 30 years. (laughs) I mean, deal with it. But don't let it determine your future. Don't let it run your life. My mom and dad did the best they could growing up in the culture they grew up in. They did their best. My dad, my dad's family, they were sharecroppers. My dad didn't, my dad lived in, had an outhouse until he was 10 years old. Had one one light in their house and they ran it from the pole outside. How many of that'll influence how you see the world? My mom lived in I don't know 19 different places. Let's remember the good. Let's celebrate them for who they are, not how we wanted them to be. Does that make sense? So that wasn't the message, but it's, I think, important today. This passage we're going to read today is, uh, Pastor Daniel read it last week, and I want to read it again because, quite frankly, it's pivotal to everything we're going to say today. You can't really get your head around Philippians 12 through 18 until you really get a handle on um Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11. And so uh, everything about Paul was influenced by what he writes. And he encapsulates, at least for me, the power and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done and who Jesus is and and what Jesus accomplished for me and for us together, we together. And so, you know, I know some of you feel like we're kind of like a Catholic church. You're up and down all the time. But I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. And as we read last week, and we'll read this week, and maybe I ought to pick this up every week, I don't know. The Apostle Paul in Philippians wrote this Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, let your word touch us deeply today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. And so based on, on those verses, those preceding verses, we now come to verse 12. And it starts with this word. It starts with therefore. And if you've been in church any length of time, you know that when you hear the word therefore, you go to the preceding verses. You read what's been said before so that this verse will make sense. So Paul has just talked about who Jesus is and he said because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished and how Jesus lived, therefore, because of that, he said these words. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence... But much more, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, because of all the things that Jesus accomplished, because of all the things that Jesus did, the humility of Christ becoming flesh and blood, the obedience of Christ to the plan of God to die on the cross, because he has a name that is above every name, because he is exalted on heaven and on earth and under the earth because everyone is going to bow their knee, because every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Uh, because of all these things. There must be a response on those who have heard the message. There must be a response. We We can no longer just give simple mental assent or acknowledge these truths, but it must do something within us. It must move us to some form of action in our lives. It must move us. Paul encourages us, that because of what Jesus did in his example, we, we walk in obedience, we, we take the words, the teachings of, of, of Jesus and of scripture, and we internalize them and we make them a part of ourselves. He said, walk in obedience, do that which is right because Jesus is Lord of all. Follow the teachings of Jesus because Jesus has become our supreme example. That word obey not only means to do the things that you're supposed to, but it also means it carries with it the tone of listening. He says, don't just obey for a season. Obey for the rest of your life. Listen to what God has to say. Continue to hear the voice of God. Continue to listen. Be obedient. Do what God asks. Avoid the things that hinder. Not because we want to check off the box. I had a kid in one of my Colossians 2-7 series. He loved to do all the stuff so he could check the box. I memorized this. I, I, I had my devotion. I mean, his, his back of the 2-7 book was a workbook. Check marks everywhere. Check marks everywhere. And yet at some point he failed to internalize what he was reading. Does that make sense to you all? It's not enough to just check off the box. It's to let God have his perfect work within all of us. Paul said, and he writes these words, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's saying based on the preceding verses of Christ's humility, there should be almost a visceral response, an emotional physical response to what Jesus has done, it, it's not merely academic or intellectual assent, it's everything within us being moved. Some of you' will remember this, some of you won't, some of you'll deny it, but young life used to run haunted houses years and years ago, and, and they were scary. It was a fundraiser for them, and, and, I'm, and it, they were a lot of fun. You say, "Oh no, pastor. they were fun. Me and my whole baseball team, we went and man, it was a crack up. We were scared to death. <laughs> Jack Samson was crawling around trying to find a way under the tent lake so he could get out. I mean it was it was it was hilarious. It was it was something. It, it scared us to no end, and we knew it was fake. But there was that emotional response. Let I me mean, you know what I'm talking about. It it was just scary. It it we we were we were fearful and trembling. <laughs> There was an emotional response. Well, in kind of sort of the same way, when you stop and consider what Jesus Christ has done for you, he came and he took human form. He humbled himself and became like you and me and he, he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross. The crown of thorns, the scourging that we just sang about, the whip, the lash, and all of these different things. at some point, it's got to move you. If you can get through all these songs and not be touched viscerally, physically, or emotionally. if, if There have to be moments where you, you, you have to lift your hands because you cannot not lift your hands. There have to be moments where, where tears well up. There have to be those moments where you sense and you are moved by the sacrifice and the humility and the love and the grace of, of God in Jesus Christ. It has to move us. It has to have something of, this is a divine event and I cannot ignore it. I cannot simply pass by. It cannot be superficial. It must be the event. When my kids were born, that was a big deal. All three of them, it was a big deal. When, I, when Mary and I said I, I do, that was a big deal. But there is no bigger deal. No bigger deal. Than when he died on the cross for me. No bigger deal. It is not an event. It is the event that changes me. And and, and saves me. And redeems me. And reconciles me. And makes me who I cannot be in my own strength. It is in his strength. Because he died. He rose again. His spirit lives within me. And one day he's coming back. These are the truths that should move us. These people can go and not feel. Feel. I, I can't comprehend. I can't get my head around it. I can be standing here and Mariah or one of these others can start singing and I can start weeping because of the power and the presence of God. We need to be moved emotionally, at times physically, where we are, are are moved. This should be the person, the event that changes our lives and shapes us and guides the direction. It should it should be a big deal. You know, last night they were all sitting on the front row. There's a group of people, young, young people. To them right now, Disneyland's, they go two or three times a year. We won't name names, but you know who you are. And, you know, some of them work in our office, and I just, I love talking to them. They've got all the buttons, you know, you can go click the buttons, and they've got, some of them have over 29 different kinds of ears, and and I'm thinking, wow, when I was growing up, how many kinds of ears were there? Just one. You're lucky if you got your name on it. But they know how to use the technology at Disneyland. I mean, that's amazing now to get where you want to go, to order food, everything. And uh, I used to feel that way. When I was growing up, my mom used to take me and my brother to Disneyland. We lived 10 minutes away. And whenever someone, I, I loved it when visitors came to visit my mom and dad who were pastors Mom said, Well, let's take you over to Disneyland. And I'm thinking, Yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, Tom Sawyer's Island? Back before they shut up all the caves so there wasn't any stuff going on? You know? Country Bear Jamboree, anybody? I'm sorry. (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean? When that first came out, oh my goodness. My favorite ride, Peter Pan. One time I wrote it by myself, and the guy who pushes the button to send you on your way, he said, you know, sometimes we just never grow up. I said, that's right, pal. Got that right. How many remember the, the, the ticket books? Anyone go back that far? Yeah, we do. The e-ticket, the coveted e-ticket that got you on the Matterhorn. This has nothing to do to the message. I'm just having fun. One time, you could pay money at these little kiosks. We went on it six times. We scrounged up every dime we could find. And went on it six times, the Matterhorn. I went on it this last time with my grandsons. About tore me apart. Threw me all over. My back was out of joint for a week. You know, I used to feel just like these, those young people on the front row, and I don't feel that way anymore. One, because it just costs so much. The costs of Disneyland are out of sight, out of control. That's just me. Hope you're hearing this, Iger. Out of control. And then the crowds. The only place I like a crowd is in church. And there are far too many open seats here today. I want something done about it. And then, Lord, you have to park in another county. I mean, when you have to take a bus from your parking stall to get to where you're going at Disneyland, I, I just can't get my head around that. My enthusiasm has diminished. My enthusiasm. I, I, it doesn't mean what it, like the, these young people, they're just all over it. For me, not so much. I think my point in telling you that was, you know, sometimes if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, that event that I just shared about can, can diminish itself in our lives. Now, that's the wrong way to say it. We can diminish, diminish it in our lives. What was the one, when, when you were saved, when you first gave your heart to Jesus, you went, yay, God, and you were excited, and you were there for everything. And you, but, but sometimes if we're not careful, that fear and trembling, that, that obedience, and all the stuff that the scriptures call us to, we, it, it begins to diminish in our life because we allow other things, and, and it's not as exciting. There's not that, there's not that, that oomph, that something that, that moves us. We stop listening. We stop walking in obedience. We stop doing these things. And I think what the Lord wants to say to me and to you is to remember your first love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and be moved mentally, emotionally, physically. Let it consume you. Let it consume. I walked around, I'm sorry, I walked around uh, Calvary Temple where mom and dad and there was this lady Upstairs in the back of the in the front of the church behind the platform, there was this room, and there was a lady who lived there for over 20 years. No bathroom, no kitchen. When she had to wash or anything, she'd go to the women's facility, the women's restroom in the back. She lived up there with no with nothing. But every day. Because that was my playground, remember, when I was a kid. Every day I could run through the prayer room and guess who'd be there on her knees or up against the wall just praying and worshiping God every single day. And I knew she was praying for mom and dad. I knew she was praying for me. The zeal and the fervor of this woman in her 60s, 70s, and 80 would never die, would never diminish because she was consumed by the event. She was consumed by Jesus and her love flowed from him to him out to me. Because I knew when I got gotten older, we called, said sister and brother back then. Sister Reynolds was praying for me. She was praying for me. And so when I hear the words of Paul, it's saying, be consumed. Let it touch you every which way that this is the event of your life. Our love and obedience to Jesus should never diminish, but he should continue to excite and amaze and overwhelm and and something within us crave and desire to live for him those moments when you cannot but as i've already said but raise your hand you can't help thinking what would jesus do that when others say do the wrong thing you do the right thing because you are consumed and constrained by jesus christ be so moved by the things that break the heart of god that it breaks your heart We sing that old song on Friday, "Oh how He loves you and me," and we ponder it and we we think on it. Oh how He loves us, and it moves us, and we stand in awe once again of the One who died on the cross for us. Verse thirteen, because verse twelve can't happen without verse thirteen, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. For it is God, break that down in your own mind as you look at this, for it is God who works in you, both his will to will and to work for his good pleasure or purpose. It's God doing the work. You know, honestly, the call to obedience in verse 12 doesn't happen without verse 13. Now, there's some people who stress the role of God in our obedience to the exclusion of any effort on our part. We're we're simply passive receivers. We just sit there until God does everything, and, and we start living differently. Then there's the other side. Uh, they stress self effort. We strive and we work to keep our salvation at the expense of any reliance upon God. And guess what? They're both wrong. It's not an either or. Jesus said in John 15, four and five, he said this, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Our lives are to bear fruit. If nothing else, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we are asked to fulfill his purpose in our lives for his good pleasure. But to be honest with you, friend, there's not a one of us in this room that has the power to do that. We just can't. On my best day, on Billy Graham's best day, we don't have what it takes. We can't do it. But then when we learn and we practice abiding in him. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. How many know that old kid's song? I won't sing it. But when Jesus is the vine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, he is, and we are the branches. I in him and he in me. Here, here's, what, here's how I interpreted that. At least for me. And, and this works for you fine. But here's, here's what I wrote for me. The role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to align our lives with the person and teachings of Jesus. Our role is to place ourselves in a position to receive His work in us. Through worship, prayer, reflection, solitude, scripture reading, service, study, sharing our story and community, we allow space for the Spirit of the living God to work in our lives, and thus we become more obedient, fulfilling God's purposes to His good pleasure. What do you guys think? Does that make sense? We make ourselves available to what God wants to do because I can't do it in my own strength. I need the Holy Spirit of God living in me to accomplish these things. But my role is to say, here I am, Jesus, do whatever you want with me. Have your way in me. It's a partnership. It's, a, it, it's making yourself available to the work of God. And I'm gonna, on a tangent, if yours too busy, to not do some of the things that we mentioned, that very long run-on sentence. If you're, not, if you're not making yourself, if I'm not making myself available, then don't expect to lead the obedient life. If I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit of the, of the Lord to, to work within me as I open myself up to what he might be speaking through worship, or through a bible study, through deep dive, through rooted, through my own journaling or whatever, if I don't open myself, I cannot live in fear and trembling of what God has done for me. Then he goes on, he said he said these words. Okay, now it gets practical. Are you ready? It's 9:45. Mark that down in your somewhere. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Somebody's saying, "Well, I'm out." Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, another translation, a wicked or perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Now, when I looked at this, I wanted to do it backwards. Is it okay if we work through this backwards? Oh, good, because that's what I got in my notes. Hold fast to the word of life. Let's start there. Let's start with the result, if you will. Hold fast to the word of of life. The words and life of Jesus, the the scriptures. Hold fast to the teachings, to the admonitions, to the commandments of of scripture and and of Jesus. Walk in obedience to the word of God. What God has done for us is at the center of our lives, we hold fast. We allow God to work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, based on that, what are we supposed to do? What's the next part there? We're to shine as lights in the world. There's something about you and I because of our obedience and our character and our integrity and living life in the spirit of the living God. We, we become lights that shine in the darkness. There's something that happens out there in the world because we are shining, not because of who we are. Oh, for, oh, Lord, help us. But because of who he is. And Christ lives in me. I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me. And because we're doing that, out there, things are beginning to happen. It, it denotes that, that idea of sharing our faith. Not by what we say as much as by how we live and, and, and through living. We earn the right to, to say into people's lives. Shine as lights in, in the world today. We are to shine as lights in the darkness. Not by our preaching, but by our character. We live differently, not Weirdly. Everyone catch that? We live differently. Not weird. They know we are followers of Jesus by the fruit of our lives. Where do we do this? Where do we do this? In the midst of a crooked and perverse or twisted generation. That word crooked means radically bent and and distorted. Twisted. That means taking the word of God and twisting it for your own ends. Good thing we've never done that. Twisting it and and massaging it to make it say what we want it to say instead of what it says. Where do we do this? In a world out there that rejects the truth of God. That rejects character and righteousness and all of these things. He says, go out there and in a twisted, crooked, and perverse generation that calls down, up, and up, down, yes, no, and no, yes, that, that couldn't recognize the truth and the righteousness of God on any, on any occasion. Go out there and be points of light. Go out there and be my witnesses into all the world by how we live today in, in a crooked and twisted generation. Where do we start? And here it gets rough. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing, children of God without blemish. How about I just wrap this part up and say we got a lot of work to do. If grumbling is an emotional response, and and let's be honest, because of selfishness, because of pride, because of our humanity, we love to grumble, don't we? Just just nod back at me. You know I'm right. We love to grumble. It's an emotional response because we're not getting what we want. So what do we do? We, Thank you, sir. We grumble. <laughs> we grumble. And we're good at it. But that's not all we do. If grumbling is the emotional, what's the other word there? I'll, I'll look it up here in a minute. Oh, disputing, thank you. If grumbling's the emotional response, disputing is the intellectual response. We dispute truth. We argue with God's truth. God says, do this, don't do this, but what do we do? Well, now wait a minute, God. I mean, we, if, if, you know, we get on Adam, Adam and Eve uh, when the serpent said, God, did you really say? We do the same thing. Now, wait a minute, God, did you really say, yes, I did? But we want to dispute, we want to argue. How many are good arguers here? Yeah, let's just all lift our hands and call it good. We dispute, we argue, we want to argue with God in his word, we want to argue with the teachings of Jesus, we want to massage them into something that is palatable. Is that a word? Yeah, palatable. Palatable. So that we can live not within his context, but within ours. To live within our will instead of his will. To live not for his good pleasure, but for my good pleasure. To fulfill my purpose instead of his purpose. Everyone still awake? God wants to change that in us today. Then he said these words, because we could camp on that for a long time. And then I will be able, this is Paul. Paul's getting a little, he's coming into it now. He said these words. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you, so too you should be glad and rejoice. You know, at this point in Paul's life, he has no idea if he's going to get out of that Roman prison or not. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die, because it's up to others right now. And he said these words. He says, hey, you know, you Philippians, I want you to know I I rejoice in your sacrifice and service. He almost, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, I just want you to know I'm humbly proud of you. I'm humbly proud of your actions and your heart and your passion and your purpose. I rejoice. I'm humbly proud. Paul says, because of you, when I stand before the Lord, I will be able to boast. And what's interesting, he's not boasting about himself. Who's he boasting about? Hey, Lord, you see those Philippians down there? See those guys? They were obedient even when it wasn't convenient. They were purposeful in a world that lacks purpose. They lived for your pleasure instead of their own. They made a difference. The highlight of a very long memorial service on, on, on Friday was when my three daughters got up and talked about their grandmother. For me, that was the highlight. I'm not sure how much I have to boast about, but when I look at those three girls... And I see their love for Jesus. And their love for for people. I feel like I can say with Paul, if I'm being poured out, it's okay. Because I see in them something that makes me extremely if you will, humbly proud. I look at some of the people on our staff, some of the young people, and I understand the words of Paul. Paul could say these words, and I feel like they would apply to my mom. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul could say these words with confidence, that he had fought the good fight, kept the faith, finished his race, and a crown of righteousness awaited him. For all of my mom's failings and mistakes, there is a confidence that I have that would say, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for my mom. I look back and too much of my life was spent in, man, if mom and dad would have done this differently. If Dad would have been more like Jack Hayford, if my. Mom-